the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Tonight, we're going to talk about a section of Scripture in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, which is one of the most controversial sections of Scripture in all of the uh, Pauline epistles. Theologians have literally written reams of paper about the interpretation of the verses that we're going to look at tonight. And to some degree, as we go through these verses, it may seem a little academic But I want you to grasp hold of what Paul is actually trying to teach you. Whenever we open the Paulian epistles, whenever we open any one of these books, I want you to see the Spirit of God through Paul speaking to a young group of Christians and Father's heart to communicate to them the truth of what it means to be a Christian. That's the dynamic of these epistles. It's not to ground them from the standpoint of them having this deep theological understanding that is not practical for living out life. It's really about telling them who they are. It's really about educating them in who they are. So, as I went through all of these commentaries and studied these verses, one thought came to my mind. And that is... It is more important for you to hear the God of the scriptures than man's interpretation of the scripture. So yield yourself to what the spirit of God has to say. I have an opinion just like everybody else. And because I'm your pastor, you'll hear it. But just remember, the word of God is inerrant, not the word of Todd, not the commentary of man not even the interpretation of man. And I believe that God actually planned it that way so that we would be more reliant upon his spirit within us to interpret truth than to have some man tell us what it says. So as we go through this, I want you to listen. We're going to start, and if y'all will turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read through some of the verses in Romans chapter 6. And these verses have an emphasis. They have an emphasis on sin, not sins. Now, there's a delineation that we have made and needs to be made each time. Sins, in the plural, is referring to behavior. 
It's what you do. You stole a penny. That's a sin. Okay? Sin, in the singular, is speaking of an entity. It's speaking of a power. One that has literally been described as a a tyrant, a, a potentate, someone who would rule over you. Now, this is not behavior. This is literally an entity called sin. Okay, so keep that in mind as we read through this. And the reason we're going to go through these scriptures is because each one of them addresses this issue. And then we're going to look at it again in chapter 7, where Paul describes our relationship to this power, this entity called sin. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says, certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Romans chapter 6, verse 7. For when a man dies, he is freed, loosed, delivered from the power of sin among men. Romans six eleven. Even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.12 Let not sin, and here he's, he's showing him as a king, let not sin therefore rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable bodies, to make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lust. Whose lust? to its lusts and evil passions. Romans 6.17 But thank God that though you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. Romans 6.18 And having been set free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness of conformity to the divine will in thought, purpose, and action. And last, Romans 6.22. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you have your present reward in holiness, and its end is eternal life. So, Paul has been describing a change in our relationship to sin. He calls sin a king, He calls sin a ruling power. And it's typically, when we look at that singular word sin, we know we're talking about the power of sin. He makes several references and says that you were slaves to sin, but now you are slaves unto God. So there's been a change of ownership, a change of what rules your life, literally. In the chapter 5, chapter 6, the beginnings of chapter 7 of the book of Romans, Paul talks about our relationship to the law. He says, our relationship to the law is done. He says, we are finished. Man is no longer in bondage or slavery to the law if he is in Christ. And then he goes on to reveal our relationship with sin, which I mentioned before is more than behavior. It is an entity. 
Now, Paul's made it clear that we've been discharged from the law. Look at Romans 7, 6. He says, but now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the code of written regulations, but under obedience to the promptings of the spirit in newness of life. So as Christians, we no longer have a relationship to the law. We do not serve the law. We do not walk under the written code. We do not sit there and study the thou shalt nots and the thou shalls. We now walk in accordance to the promptings of the Spirit of God, who has written the law upon our hearts, literally written the law into our new nature. So now we live out the character, because the law... The law, in essence, is literally God setting forth and writing His character, the character of God. In the law, there is a righteousness that no man could attain. In the law, there is a holiness that no man could ascribe to. The Pharisees could never get to it. The Pharisees could never maintain it. They could give an outward expression of righteousness, but the inward was sadly lacking. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs that was full of dead man's bones because they could not live up to it. And you and I know what they're talking about because we have all manner of things going on in our souls, our mind, will, and emotion. And most of us have the good sense not to express all of it. And we walk around in, in this turmoil, if you will, this dichotomy between what we want people to believe about us and what we really feel about ourselves inside. And this is standard within us. And, and back in that day, the standard was the Mosaic Law. And then, of course, the rabbinical law. And as we pointed out before, there was over 600 of those laws that talked about how they should live, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. So... The Pharisee, of all people, knew the law and what it is to live outwardly to the law. But he also knew, because he knew the law, what it was to miss the mark within. To never be able to fulfill the truth, the heart of the law. And we remember as Jesus came in the the Gospels, one of the things that he continually illustrated to the people... And to the Pharisees alike and the teachers and the rulers is that though they might be able to hit the law, the letter of the law, they missed the spirit of the law. I've never committed adultery. If you so much as looked at a woman in that way, you've committed adultery in your heart. And we go on and on. Jesus always ups the standard. Why? Because they weren't supposed to hit the standard. The law came to illustrate the fact that they couldn't hit the standard. It still remains today to point to the sinfulness of men, the wickedness of men, that man cannot attain righteousness apart from Christ. What the law does is it reveals man's need for Christ, man's need for a Savior. Okay, so Paul reveals that our relationship to the law has been broken. For we are new creations who have the law written upon our hearts, written in in our nature through our union with Christ. And then the other thing that changed, we do not live in obedience to the written code. We live in obedience to the promptings of the Spirit of God. Now, do you think that the promptings of the Spirit of God are going to be contrary to the Word of God? Of course not. No. But here's what I know. 
If I have the mind of Christ, if I literally have his life in union with me, if I will yield, now this is where knowing who you are is important, if I will yield to that life, then I will walk in the righteousness and the spirit of the law. But what God intended for the Christian was not that they be so bound up in the letter of the law, but that they live the spirit of the law. And living in the spirit of the law is liberty, it's freedom. Because obedience for us is no longer about what we can accomplish. Obedience for us is literally entering into the work, the activity of the spirit, which suits us as new creations. It's what we were made for. Like we were fish made to swim. We are new creations made to enter into the activity of the Spirit of God. And you know what? That just opens up the door wide open for you to be the Word become flesh. To be the ministry of Christ. Some of you think, well, I never could minister to anybody. I couldn't touch anybody. No, I'm not talking about what you apart from Christ can do. I'm talking about your new creation that is literally created to reflect the life and the power and the character of God. The new creation that this old body covers up but was made to be an instrument of. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that in each one of you that knows Jesus as life, there sits and literally manifests the presence of the Lord. Did you know that? The presence of the Lord is not gathering in church. The presence of the Lord is in you. So if I want to minister healing, if I want to minister whatever the Spirit of God prompts my heart to do, whatever the Spirit of God moves me to do, faithful is He who called you who will also do it. He will do it. And we don't have the frustrations of the Pharisees. We don't have the frustrations of a a man of flesh trying to live to the letter of the law and make the law work. Because they never had the power to make it work. We're going to see that. They couldn't fulfill the letter of the law because only the righteousness, the presence, and the power of God could fulfill the letter of the law. And He fulfilled it in one person. Jesus. The child of God who is your life. Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, you're going a long way around the block. I said, yeah, well, I know I am, but it's important that we lay the foundation and we lay it on real thick for where we're about to go. Okay, the secondary issue that we just talked about is our relationship with sin. And God introduces us to the power of sin fairly early on. He introduces it in Genesis. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, God is speaking to Cain. And he says to Cain, if you'll do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin, singular, the entity, crouches at your door. It's, it's, as a person, it's desire is for you, but you must master it. So, is God warning Cain about his behavior? No. He's not warning Cain about his behavior. He is warning Cain about the source of his temptation. He says, do you know, basically, Todd's paraphrase, do you know who you're listening to, Cain? Do you know who you're following? It's called sin. And if you give into it, it will own you. It will destroy you. That's what it desires to do. But if you do well, if you come in obedience to me, 
it won't. That's basically what he's saying. Now, God names the source of the temptation, which is sin. And then again, throughout Romans 6 and 7, Paul continually reminds us of that influence of sin in our lives and that we are no longer slaves to it. We have just looked at numerous passages and verses out of chapter 6 that reference the power of sin. Now, what is important to know, it is important to know that while we still carry that influence in our unredeemed body, it no longer has a relationship with us. If you're a Christian, its relationship, now get this, this will be tough. Its relationship is with your old nature, your old sin nature. Does it make sense that the power of sin would have a relationship with your sin nature? Well, that's where its relationship belongs. It had a relationship with your sin nature. And when our sin nature died with us in Christ, the power of sin now reigns only in the body. It doesn't reign in the body, it resides in the body, excuse me. The power of sin cannot reign in a Christian's life, but a Christian can submit and yield to it. A Christian can give in to it. The power of sin only reigns in the sinful nature. Christians can give in to temptation and live as if sin reigns, but behavior never changes who you are. It never changes who you are. Sometime back we studied a book by Andrew Farley called The Naked Gospel. Y'all remember that book? Okay, well he addresses this power called sin, and he does it by this illustration which I'm going to give you tonight. He says, imagine that you're going to a tropical climate for a vacation. And after you check into the hotel, you throw on your sandals and head down to the beach. Along the way, however, a local parasite attaches itself to your foot. Over time, it burrows further and further in until it's lodged deep inside your foot. So deep, you don't realize it's there. Over the next few months, the parasite begins to grow, feeding off of your life. Eventually, its ravages begin to send pain messages to your brain. You begin thinking, there's something seriously wrong with me. There is something wrong with my foot. Not knowing about what lies within your foot, you assume the problem is your foot itself. In the months and years to follow, you consult numerous doctors, but no one detects the presence of the parasite. Eventually, you conclude that there is only one solution amputation. You must rid yourself of the source of the problem. To do so, you reason you only need to sever a part of yourself. What a tragedy. If someone could detect the parasite, you would know the truth. Now, in these verses, this is what the Spirit of God is doing. He's identifying a parasite that at one time fed off of your life and reigned in your soul. Though the parasite is still resident in your body, it is no longer attached to your life because where's your life if you're a Christian? It's in Christ. And the life sin fed off of is dead. So let's look at our text now for today. We're in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Paul speaking. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am a creature of flesh, of the flesh, carnal, unspiritual, having been sold into slavery and under the control of sin. 
Now, the big debate among theologians is whether or not Paul is describing himself as a Christian struggling with sin or an unsaved Pharisee trying to keep the law. The majority believe that Paul is speaking as a Christian. They believe that he is struggling as a Christian. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions about this verse. Look at the verse. And is this verse describing a behavioral issue or an identity? An identity. Does this verse speak to Paul's inability to behave or to his identity? To his identity, right? What is he comparing himself to? Is he comparing himself as a Christian should to the righteousness of Christ? Or is he comparing himself as a lost man would to the law? The law. Paul has shown that the law is spiritual. The law is not fleshly. The law is a reflection of the righteous character of God. Then Paul says in that scripture, but, here's the contrast, but I am carnal. In other words, my life is in contrast to the law. Who I am is in contrast to the law. So he says he is carnal, which is to say, in the definition of carnality, he is dominated by indwelling sinful tendencies, in contrast to habitually walking after the Spirit of God. The present tense verb that Paul is using there to describe himself as carnal is saying, I am now carnal. I am habitually carnal. This is who I am. In the present tense, carnal. That's what Paul's saying. Paul says that he is sold as a slave into slavery to the power of sin. Now, the Greek word intense used there indicates that he is continuously under the power of sin as a slave. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a Christian? Does that sound like someone who is saved? Now, I understand that Paul is a Christian when he is writing this. He is reflecting back, I believe, to who he was and how he was as a Pharisee struggling to keep the law and establish a righteousness apart from Christ. I personally believe that the debate as to whether or not Paul was describing himself in these passages as a Christian who struggles or as he was apart from Christ, a zealous Pharisee attempting to keep the law apart from Christ, is resolved right there in that, that verse. Paul is illustrating, which is in keeping with context, how the law excites sin and the impossibility of attaining righteousness through the law while enslaved to the power of sin. So in light of what Paul has written in chapter 6, it would be some... Remember the verses we just read? It would be somewhat contradictory for him to say that I'm a Christian sold as a slave under sin. I I told you it would be a little bit academic, but it's very important for you to understand that more people have gotten themselves messed up on this little bit of scripture here because then they walk away they read this they say oh well this is Paul and he lives in this continuous fight he lives in this woe is me a sinner barely hanging on by grace the same thing that I have lived in 
Poor Paul, he's struggling, he's fighting every day, barely scratching out his Christian identity. Baloney. Does that sound like any of the remainder of the writings of Paul concerning his Christianity? No. This is the only place where he declares himself a creature of flesh, sold in slave unto sin in a present tense. It's the only place he does that. So we want to make a rule out of this one statement and say, okay, well then that's just Paul. Do you, you know why we so want that to be so? Because we can identify with our failures, can't we? We can identify with the struggle. But let me ask you a question. Is the struggle the exception or the rule? Let me tell you something. If the struggle is the rule of your life, if you are every day just barely getting by, fighting to maintain who you are as a Christian, then you need to reevaluate your paradigm. Somewhere down the line, you have gotten the wrong idea about what Christ did for you on the cross. You either don't understand the concept of forgiveness, or you don't understand the concept of newness of life. Because I want to tell you, Christ said, I came that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly, not more miserably. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m., at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.